Good morning, church. As you know, we've been going through God's 10 words to his people. Um, A lot of times we hear it called the 10 commandments because there's a lot of you shalls and you shall nots. So that's a command. Um, But we've been learning about how it's not just a list of rules and demands from God, but rather a constitution for the people of Israel saying this is the kind of people you're going to be. Why? Because this reflects me to the nations around you. Someone mentioned that this is really radical, some of the things that God said to his people. It's absolutely unheard of in the communities that were surrounding Israel at that time. Only one God? But wait a minute, who will take care of the rain and who will take care of the sun and who will take care of it? There's one God's gonna take care of all of that? So this was a constitution for the people of Israel. And as we're grafted into Israel through Christ, can I get an amen? Man, how great was that this morning? I'm coming before the throne of God without shame because of mercy. I'm getting ahead a little, but Christ made that possible. He made that possible that we get to throw the doors open and enter in God's presence because of his mercy. Okay, that was a little aside. (laughs) So sometimes when we look at the Ten Commandments, We think something like this. I picked this up at Hobby Lobby recently, and it just says, I saw that, God. Right? And I thought it might be nice to put a little addendum here. I saw that, and I'm going to tell your mother. Yeah. So sometimes we think about that that's what the Ten Commandments are all about. Gotcha. Gotcha. You did that wrong. Saw that. But that is not what God has in mind He has in mind our welfare always. And he's set this up for us in a way that we can live holy and godly lives to honor him. And when we do it, joy springs forth in us. How great does it feel when you've done something holy? I mean, let's just be honest. When you've done something really right or you didn't give in to temptation, you just go, yeah, that felt good. And this is part of what God has for us in these Ten Commandments. So today we're doing number 10, which is coveting. Here's what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So in short, these are some examples, but absolutely anything that belongs to somebody other than you, you are not to covet. So this word covet, as a kid, when I'm learning the Ten Commandments, a lot of times it's shortened up for kids, right? So number 10 was just, you shall not covet. So I always thought of coveting as like a dirty word, right? Coveting is a bad thing. But here's what it really means. Covet is just to yearn, to possess, or to have. So it's not the coveting that's the problem. It's the object of our desire What is it that you're yearning to possess that determines the righteousness or the sinfulness of the coveting? Coveting can be righteous. It can be the right thing. As usual, these commands boil down to what's in our heart. What are we earnestly desiring? If I say, man, I am coveting some time with Ben Clark. I am coveting some time with my husband. Good, (laughs) yeah, I agree. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, <woo! laughs> 
I'm really coveting time with my husband. Is that righteous? Absolutely. If I say, man, I'm coveting time with somebody else's husband. (laughs) Righteous or sinful? So it's the object of our desire that defines if our coveting is right or wrong. And if our coveting leads us to break any of the other 10 words, that is sinful coveting. That's what God says. I'm gonna tell you a little story about a child. It's one of my childs. And I'm gonna do my best not to give away who it is to protect the guilty. (laughs) In kindergarten, this child started coming home and there was one day and they came home with a little cow, a little plastic cow. And I said, wow, that's great, where'd you get that? Oh, there's a prize box in our kindergarten room. And so when I behave really well, I get to choose from the prize box. And I picked this one out and I brought it home. That's great, honey. What a good job you did. A couple of days later, same child comes back, having picked out of the prize box again with a little goose. Wow, that's great. You got to pick out of the prize box again. You must be doing so well. That's awesome with that goose. A couple of days later, it's a cow. A couple days later, it's a horse. And I start finally cluing in. (laughs) And I said, are you getting these out of the prize box or are you slowly stealing the farm set from your kindergarten class? (laughs) I'm slowly stealing the farm set from my kindergarten class. Now, in a way, I was really impressed because a five-year-old to sustain, I mean, this is the long game, right? She's (laughs) sustaining this lie and this deception over time. It was creative, so points for that. However, obviously, sinful coveting. (laughs) When I was growing up in Spain, we did not get a lot of American snacks, and we would get a care package, and the most coveted, Item of all in the care package was big red chewing gum. Now you don't see it that much anymore, at least I don't, but big red was the best. It was cinnamony, it was spicy, and you couldn't get it where we were, and that was amazing. So the package came, and my mother divided up among us all the kids, you know, here's some big red, here's some big red. And being the righteous missionary children that we were, my sister Esther and I played poker with sticks of gum. to see who could win the most sticks of gum. So we were both coveting each other's gum, and we would play. And, you know, I I wasn't great at poker, but I could hold my own. But we were um, doing a, a game once, and I kept losing, kept losing. And so I would bet my stick of gum. I'd have a great hand, and I would still lose out. She would fold or whatever. And, you know, ongoingly, until I lost every single stick of big red gum. Sorrow overcame me like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) And she was, of course, ecstatic. Woo, yeah, I got the big red gum. And so days went by, and I was mourning my big red gum. And the Holy Spirit finally got a hold of her. And she came to me, and she said, Hannah, I have something to tell you. Yeah, what is it? You know how I won all your big red gum at poker? Yeah, I remember. Well, I could see all your cards and the reflection in your glasses. Yeah. 
So coveting someone else's things leads to all kinds of other sin. The roots of coveting, what is not ours, what I'm going to call sin coveting, is ingratitude. What I have already isn't good enough. I see this with my own children. If I'm handing out whatever candy, I'll hand out one to each, and then I give two to one. All of a sudden, that one candy that they were so excited about is like, wait a minute. I was so excited about this, but he got two. What what gives, you know? (laughs) Can we be like that? I think we can. I think we can look at what someone else has and say, you know, I was so excited about this, but now it doesn't seem so great because someone else has that or has, you know, something better, bigger. And this doesn't, this isn't just with material things. It can be with relationships. It can be with status. It can be all kinds of things that we look and say, man, you know, I was really happy that my husband came home that day and did the dishes for me. But you know, her husband does the dishes every single day. I wish I had that. See, we lose our gratitude when we look to others and desire what they have. Another thing is pride. Why him and not me? So-and-so got a promotion at work. I worked just as well as he did. Better even. Why him and not me? That's not right. And this is also a misguided sense of justice, the idea that we should all have the same thing. The word says that God gives and God takes away. It also says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. So when we're given a gift from the Father of heavenly lights and -and so-and-so isn't, we go, that seems fair. But when they're given a gift from the Father of heavenly lights and we aren't, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not justice. God's playing favorites. Does God play favorites? I mean, maybe. He has the right to do that because he's God. Now, he knows what is best for each and every one of us, and he will give his best to each and every one of us. I believe that. But it might not be the same as your neighbor gets. So we have a misguided sense of justice that if only we all had the same things, that would be fairness. So I told a couple funny stories about sin coveting. But the truth is that God takes sin coveting very seriously. We're going to look at uh, a story of King Saul. And it's uh, in 1 Samuel 15, 8 through 11. That's a little small. You might want to look it up quickly. God had told King Saul to march against the Amalekites. And he had said, when you get there, they're so wicked, wipe them out. Not just them but their sheep, their cattle, everything they have touched is soiled because of their wickedness. Wipe it all out. Eradicate these people from the earth. So Saul goes and marches to go do that. But here's what he does. Verse eight. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Whoa. Wasn't supposed to do that. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. It seems like a shame to waste a lot of great sheep. 
I mean, they're really good. So these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Let me clue you in here. King Saul had not carried out God's instructions before that. He actually offered sacrifices one time instead of waiting for Samuel because he was impatient. So he decided to step into a role that wasn't his and offer sacrifices. Did that upset God? Sure it did. He messed up a bunch of times, but this is the instance where the word of the Lord says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me. This is the straw that broke the camel's back, if God can be compared to a camel. This is the thing that God said, that's it. I told you to do it. You coveted those sheep and those cattle. You kept them for yourself. You're done. Wow, I didn't know coveting was such a big thing, right? but it led to Saul's disobedience. Another example of God taking sin coveting very, very seriously is uh, the story of King Ahab and Jezebel. Again, extremely wicked people. This story that we're gonna read takes place after the encounter between Baal's prophets and Elijah where uh, Jezebel said, all right, kill all the prophets. She's very upset about it. She's actively working against the prophets of God her entire life. And Ahab is called the most wicked king of Israel because he leads the people into worship of Baal and other gods that are not Jehovah. But listen to this. First King, Kings uh, 21. Oh, I marked it with my little ribbon. Here we go. This is the story of Ahab coveting Naboth's vineyard. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. Naboth is a righteous man. He does not covet what Saul offers him. He says, I'm happy with what God has given me. Here's what he says. Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. It's not worth it to me to give up what God has given me to get the something better you're offering. But that's not King Ahab's attitude. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay down on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. The next few verses are Jezebel conspiring. See, coveting leads to sin. And so she is conspiring, eventually gets people to accuse Naboth of crimes he didn't do, and he's stoned to death. 
Verse 15, as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Now, the thing he should have done was say, Jezebel, what did you do? That was wrong what you did. That's not what he does. He goes, okay. And he runs down and gets the vineyard that he had been coveting. Then, now listen, again, Ahab and Jezebel, extremely wicked. But it was then that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, his prophet, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. God is angry about this. Here's what he says. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. Elijah and Ahab had a really like hate-hate relationship. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I'm going to strip you of everything you had. You know those vineyards you were offering Naboth? You're not going to have them anymore. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you've provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, she doesn't get off free. The Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. See, God hates coveting. With everything that Ahab and Jezebel had done, again, God waits for this moment to go, not okay. That's it. I'm passing judgment. So why is it such a big deal? And, you know, why does coveting, it feels like an internal sin because we think it in our hearts. We think it in our minds. Oh, gee, I'd really like that. Oh, gee. (laughs) <laughs> but here's the deal. Oop, lost it. Did I do something? On, there we go. Disobeying the 10th word leads us to disobedience of all of them. Sin coveting is not a hidden sin because coveting has consequences. It's not hidden. It doesn't stay inside ourselves. Why? Because we do something about our desires. We just do. Whatever it is that we're desiring and going after, it doesn't stay inside for long. We do something about it. If it builds up, it builds up. I really am yearning for that. Oh, I'm yearning for that. Oh, I just really want that. It builds up to a point where it births, the word said, in sin and death. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, coveting money, 
deeply desiring money, have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you have seen the movie Frozen? Yeah, everybody in the world. So (laughs) there's a part, um, kind of meant to be humorous, but it reminded me of this, where Olaf, the snowman, is walking along and he's talking to the other characters, and he just keeps walking, and suddenly uh, Anna, whoever, says, hey, you're stuck, and he looks around and realizes that his torso portion is is, uh, impaled on a uh, piece of ice. That's what this is like. Okay, we wander off seeking something that isn't ours and without realizing it, we pierce ourselves with many griefs. There are times God doesn't even have to judge us because we've created a problem for ourselves. James 4, one through five, we'll read it quickly. This was one of the first scriptures that I remember my parents having me memorize, and I don't know why. There must have been some reason. Listen, because this is New Testament. This is a uh, letter to the church of Christ. This is post-Christ. We can't say, oh, before Christ, you know, this and that, but now we're redeemed and we're great. No, this is a letter to a post-Christ church. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people. How many commandments have you counted? that he said he's broken here. You kill, you fight. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The spirit in us is greedy. It's part of our human nature, our fallen human nature. And we cannot possibly reflect, reflect God's glory with this fallen human nature. There's, there's a reason that the word says that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. See, sin coveting is actually dangerous. When Nora, my three-year-old, walks up to a hot stove and reaches out to touch it, I don't say, oh, you know, that might not be a good idea. Come over here. I say, no! And I grab her away as fast as I can. Why? It's dangerous. I don't mince words. I don't say, hey, um, you know, that might not be the best idea. You could hurt yourself. When she's reaching for it, I say, stop, no! This is what God is saying to us when he says, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's things. It's going to lead to heartache. It's going to lead to pain. It is dangerous. And sometimes we think in our minds, not such a big deal, but it is. It is. It leads us into all kinds of fighting and quarreling. So I've been saying sin coveting. Can coveting be sanctified? Can coveting be something 
that is holy? Is there holy coveting if there's sin coveting? Here's a question. Did Jesus covet? He's our example that we're meant to follow. He walked holy on the earth. And I choke up even now a little bit (laughs) because as a kid I learned you shall not covet. And so to say, well, did Jesus covet? Of course not. Jesus didn't covet. He was holy in every way. But the truth is he did. He deeply desired something that he pursued with all his heart. And that thing that he deeply desired and pursued and allowed to dictate his behavior and his decisions was you and me and the human race that he wanted to redeem out of darkness and pull into himself. He coveted us. Unto death? No, unto life. He coveted not to take, but to give. I asked the Gross brothers if they would come up and do a little reenactment for us. An example of what Jesus looked at as coveting. Gross brothers. Oh, here they come. This is what, yeah, good job, guys. This is the kind of coveting that Jesus desires for us. See, we look at coveting like Christ, and we look at this story that he told about if someone robs you, you know, don't take it up against them, follow them and give them your your coat also, your cloak, your hat, whatever. And see, we think that coveting or not coveting is just kind of being mugged for our coat and, or I'm sorry, walking past another guy on the road and not wanting his coat. Woo, I didn't covet. So we think it's not just it's not just not desiring the other guy's cloak. It's not. And it's also not just letting it go and being generous when something is taken from us. Cuz we stop there sometimes too, don't we? Somebody takes something, I forgive you in Jesus name. See, Christ is calling us to radical coveting. Coveting is chasing after someone to sacrificially give, to show them the love of Christ. We're almost never there. More often we're like, I didn't want that thing. Or, man, they took it, but I forgave them. Very seldom do we say, hey, you stole from me? Let me chase after you to show you Christ's love. My question is, do we covet like Jesus? Do we covet 
people's souls for his glory? Do we say, hey, I'm not okay with you going to hell. I'm not okay with you being eternally apart from God. I have a deep driving desire for you to know Christ and to be with me in heaven. As I was preparing for this, um, Jesus came to mind. <laughs> and um, let's read John 19, 1 through 11. This is um, Christ's trial. John 19, 1 through 11. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Oh, Jesus, let us never forget what this meant. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. So here's what Pilate's saying. You want him dead? Look, I flogged him. I beat him. Is that good enough? Here's the man. But as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you. Listen, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. I used to read this passage and kind of think, Jesus has kind of thrown his weight around here a little bit. He's saying, you're not in control, I'm actually in control. And he was right. He was right to say, I have the authority, but I actually think as a throwback to John 10, where he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. See, here's what he's saying to Pilate and to us today. You think you're beating me? You think you're taking something from me, but I am chasing you down with my love to lay down my life for your sake. I have the authority and I'm laying it down. You think you're robbing me, but I'm chasing you down with all I have. See, here's what we learn when we learn to covet like Christ, that God is a giver. Okay, God is a giver sacrificially, that's awesome. How do we imitate Christ? How can we covet radically and give sacrificially? Back to our three points toward the beginning there. We can choose gratitude. Gratitude is a choice. 
Sometimes. Sometimes we're just like, woo, I got this, I'm thankful. But sometimes it's like, I can be thankful for this because it's what God's given me. It's contentment. It's what Paul said. I'm content either way, fat or skinny. Either way, I've learned the secret of contentment. We can choose gratitude. We can walk in humility. And here's a bonus, guys. When we walk in humility, the word says he lifts us up. I shared this um, at the fall retreat a couple of years ago for the youth. But here's the picture I get when I think about humility and how God raises us up. I see two racers at the beginning of a line, and they're ready to take off for their race. Now one is proud in his heart, proud in his ability, and the other one says, thanks God for giving me this ability to run fast. I'm doing it to honor you, Father. In the unseen world, here's the Father behind the proud man holding his hand against his head. And that young man is trying to run. He's got cartoon legs because he's pumping, pumping, pumping. But he's not going anywhere because God is opposing the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And so he comes behind the second man and goes, and he carries him to the finish line. That's what the word says. So when we choose to walk in humility, we're choosing to be, have a right understanding of who we are. <laughs> So you look at God and you look at yourself and you kind of go, I mean, yeah, I have these abilities, but come from the Father of Heavenly Lights. We have a right understanding of who we are. And then we realize that only he is worthy of absolutely everything. Jesus gave it all to win you and me, to win this world. And he is worthy of absolutely everything. Whether I have a lot, my neighbor has a lot, my neighbor has something I want, I have something they want makes no difference because it is all for his glory. Um, Josh Gerrels has a song called Zion and Babylon where he compares what happens here. Here's the verses about Babylon. O great mammon, form and function, Careless consumerist consumption, dangerous dysfunction, described as expensive taste. I'm a people disgraced by what I claim I need and what I want to waste. I take no account for nothing if it's not mine. It's a misappropriation of funds. Protect my 90% with my guns. Whose side am I on? Well, who's winning? My kingdom's built with the blood of slaves, orphans, widows, and homeless graves. I sold their souls to build my private mansion. But I'm a poor child. I'm a lost son. I refuse to give my love to anyone, fight for the truth or help the weaker ones because I love my Babylon. I'm a slave. I was never free. I betrayed you for blood money. Oh, I bought the world, but all is vanity. Oh my Lord, I'm your enemy. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. This is what he says about Zion. Don't trade your name for a serial number. Priceless lives were born from under graves where I found you. Say, my name ain't yours, and yours is not mine. Mine is the Lord, and yours is my child. That's how it's always been. 
Time to make a change. Leave your home and give to the poor all that you own. Lose your life so that you can find it. First will be last when the true world comes, living like a humble fool to overcome. The upside-down wisdom of a dying world. But Zion's not built with hands. In this place, God will dwell with man. The sick be healed and the cripples stand. Sing hallelujah. My kingdom's built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Let this world know me by your love. By your love. Oh, my child, my daughters, my sons, I made you in love to overcome. Free as a bird, like flowers in the sun, on your way to Mount Zion. All you slaves, be set free. Come on out, child. Come on home to me. We will dance. We will rejoice. And he echoes Jesus' words. If you hear me, follow my voice. Do we hear him this morning? Do we covet the way he did? Going back to James, take a moment and just think about what, what is it in your heart that you want but can't have? It's dangerous. What is it you want and can't have? So how do we covet like Christ? Well, maybe on Black Friday, you didn't throw your elbow in someone's face to get that last TV. That was probably wise. Here's an example for our everyday life as well. Students, you're here. You catch somebody cheating off your test. That's upsetting. You studied, they didn't. How can they steal that away from you? Coveting like Christ isn't just not wanting their answers. It isn't just not being upset when they do it to you. It's saying to that person, hey, I noticed you were cheating off of me. Can I tutor you sometime? I'm going to sacrifice my time, my effort to help you. I'm going to chase you down. You did me wrong. I'm going to chase you down with love. Maybe you work in sales. Sales is notoriously ruthless especially when there's commission involved. Maybe someone steals your lead, your sales lead, and they get the sale and they make a bunch of commission, and you know that you know that that was your lead. Coveting like Christ is saying, hey, I noticed you stole from me, but are you having trouble getting leads of your own? Let's talk about that. I'll help you. I'm pretty good at sales. That's outrageous. <laughs> I mean, that's outrageous. Wait a minute, whoa, you're talking about my income. It doesn't matter. He's worthy of it all. And when we say, hey, I'm going to sacrifice for you, we're expressing a trust in a heavenly father that loves us so well that he gives us exactly what we need. Sometimes there's a bigger sacrifice to be made. You may have seen this in the news recently. This is John Allen Chow. He had a heart for the Sentinelese people in the North Central Sentinel Island. This is an unreached tribe, untouched by modern society. Uh, when helicopters have flown over before, uh, they've shot arrows at it. I mean, they're totally unreached. This man, 26 years old, had a heart for these people so strong that he went there. 
he hired fishermen to take him as close as they could to the island, and he got on his kayak and paddled over there. On November 15th this year, he went on to the island, and here's what he said. He held out his Bible and said, I'm John, I love you, and so does Jesus. They shot arrows at him. He was struck by a 10-year-old boy, he described later in his journal entry. He got off the island, swam back to the ship, and here's what he wrote that night to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he's called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God worshiping in their own language as Revelation states. I love you all, and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Soli Deo Gloria. And he went back November 16th, and the last that the fishermen saw of him, his body was being dragged into the jungle. He was willing. And do you hear the echoes of Christ? Don't hate them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that what Jesus said? This man had the heart of Christ as he coveted these people to be around the throne. Here's our heart's cry. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. From you are all things, all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Whether that's giving up a sale, whether that's being kind to somebody who's just constantly rude to you and actually doing it with a happy heart, whatever that looks like, we are meant to pursue, to covet people for Christ's sake and to pursue them in the name of Jesus and to say, look, Jesus gave it all for me. I want to give it for you. The world will see a difference. That's not the way the world normally works. So as we wrap up these 10 words, we have a choice. We can covet to death or we can covet unto life. The desires of the human heart are fierce, as we all know. But when we ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit, come, change my desires, make my coveting for you, he'll do it. He'll do it through the Holy Spirit. And the Ten Commandments is meant for us to be a reflection to the world of who God is. So here's what we learn about God in the Ten Commandments. He says, have no other gods. We learn that he's worthy. Have no idols. He's unique. Don't misuse my name. He knows who he is. Aren't you glad he knows who he is? And he chose to tell us. Keep the Sabbath holy. He's in charge and he's not a taskmaster. Honor your father and your mother. He creates a loving authority structure. Do not murder. He values life. 
do not commit adultery. He is holy and desires purity. No stealing. God is not a taker. No lying. God tells the truth. Do not covet your neighbor's things. God is a giver. And folks, if we can abide by these 10 words through the Holy Spirit's help, let's be honest. (laughs) If we can do it, we will reflect his glory to the world because they think he's a taker. They think he's a killer. He's a giver and he deserves all the glory. So Father, this morning we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit God, that we could do these 10 words well. Jesus, we know that our nature is envious and sinful, but we also know that you have made us a new creation and we're walking in that new creation. Lord, and we can come boldly before your throne because you gave it all. You coveted after us and after humanity in such a way that you ran after us with your life. You so loved the world that you gave. Jesus, make us more like you. Make us more like you so that we can show the world your glory. Thank you, God, for the good gifts that you send. Where we choose gratefulness and we choose to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.